Would you bow your hearts with me once again? Father, we do thank you for your faithfulness and kindness toward all, all of us. Would you thank you that we are here this morning to witness how good and gracious you are to us, Lord, giving us these opportunities to serve so that your gospel may go forth. And as we reflect back on your faithfulness to us, even this year, uh, we do pray that you would fix our eyes on you this morning. I pray that perhaps we would um, not focus so much on ourselves and uh, our issues or what we've been through or our difficulties or our trials, but we would lift up our eyes to you and see you as you are. And in light of that, that we would worship you as you deserve to be worshipped. I do ask you that you would uh, bless our time in your word, that you would grant me your grace to deliver these truths as you would have them. And I pray that our worship would go forth to you this morning because of what we know about you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to take your copies of God's word and turn with me to Exodus 32. That will not be our primary passage, but this is where we will start. This morning, I want to bring you a message entitled, Bless His Holy Name. As was mentioned already, and as you all know, this is the last Sunday of 2019. And uh, I'm sure all of you look back at the end of the year at the things that have happened to you, that have happened to your family, and you reflect back and you see the blessings, you see the challenges, and as we reflect back on this last year, I want us, as I just prayed, not so much focus on ourselves, but I want you to take your eyes off of yourself this morning and just look at Christ. Imagine it is just you and God, you before God this morning. And as you look and as you behold God, I want you to respond the way this passage will tell you to respond, namely, bless the Lord. Just looking at the title, of the sermon, bless his holy name. Let me ask you a question. Does the name of the Lord deserve to be blessed? Yes or no? Yes. I hope all of you could say yes. And the second follow-up question to that is why? Why? The scripture commands us in many places to bless the name of the Lord. And this morning, I want to just explore this concept a little bit with you. As we come to the exposition of God's word, and every time we come to the Bible, every, every time we come to preaching or to studying the word of God, this is not just a mental exercise. It is not just for you to learn a few new things. Hopefully, you still would walk away learning something. But hopefully, what you learn about God will affect your mind and affect your heart and would cause your affections to rise for God. That the information that you take from the word would affect how you would worship God. So as we look at this amazing passage this morning, I want you to know God better than you did when you came in. And I want you to worship him more fervently than you did before you read this passage. Now with that in mind, I want to begin with one of the darkest days in the history of the nation of Israel. This day is recorded for us in Exodus 32. Now, I don't have to remind you of all the events that transpired at that time, but you remember that they are at Mount Sinai. Moses went up on the mountain to receive 10 commandments and the law from God. He's been there for 40 days. 
And while Moses is in the presence of God, you have the nation of Israel under the direction of Aaron make God for themselves. According to verse 1, this was their reasoning. Exodus 32 verse 1 says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now I want you to just for a moment imagine this picture in your mind. Moses is up on the mountain. Do you realize what's going on on the mountain? According to Exodus 19 verse 18 says, Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. The Lord came down on the mountain to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called to Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. This is what's going on on top of the mountain. And here you have the entire nation of Israel in the shadow of this mountain, looking at what's going on up there. They look to Aaron and say, hey, I'm not sure what happened to this guy, Moses. Let's make God for ourselves, and let's worship him. And so we read that they built a calf, they start dancing. They start sacrificing right in the face of God. A question for you. What should God do at this moment? What would you do if you were God? I mean, we'd probably say, listen, wipe them all out. I just took two million people out of Egypt, just brought them right here, and in front of my face, they're doing that? Now, these people are not just innocent bystanders. No, these are idolaters who are practicing the things that they've learned in, e in Egypt, even though God is right there. Now, as God is about to wipe them out, Moses intercedes before God, and Moses says in verse 12, he says, why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about, about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all the lands which I have spoken I will give to your descendants. And they shall inherit it forever. Moses says two things to God. Number one, he says if you're going to wipe them out... The nations will malign your name because you said that you will bring them into the promised land and you did not and you wiped them all out. And number two, remember what happened 400 years ago. You made a promise to Abraham. You made a promise to our fathers that you will bring us back and you will bring us into this promised land. Lord, remember your covenant. Did people deserve the punishment? Absolutely. Could God have wiped them out? Absolutely. He says, I can start a new thing with you, Moses. Did God have to spare them? Absolutely not. And Moses intercedes, and we read that the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he was about to do to the people. Now, as you keep reading in Exodus, and you have come to the next chapter, chapter 33 and chapter 34, the Lord renews covenant with the nation of Israel. He renews the covenant in Moses and prays and he says, Lord, I want you to go with us. 
If you're not going to go with us, I'm not going to go and I'm not going to lead these people. And Moses prays to the Lord and he asks him, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your, manifest your glory that you are coming with us. And in Exodus 33, 19, this is what the Lord says. He says, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And in the following chapter, in chapter 34, verses 5 and 8, the Lord fulfills this promise. Look at 34, 5. We read that the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgressions, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Moses made haste to bow low toward the earth and worshiped. The Lord proclaimed his name to Moses. And when he proclaimed his name in these verses, he outlined for Moses who he is. Now with this background, we are ready to go to Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is a divine commentary on the events that took place in the book of Exodus and since. As we read this psalm right now, I want you to notice the parallels that we see in the Exodus account and what David is writing about 400 years later. Read with me Psalm 103. Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his way to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for men, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes when the wind has passed over it. It is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. 
But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to the children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his hosts, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now between the time of Moses and the time when David wrote the psalm, it's been about 400 years. Now a lot has transpired in the history of Israel, and a lot of it or most of it was not good. In fact, we know that from the time of Moses, from the time they entered the promised land, to the time of David, the nation of Israel was governed by judges. During that time, we read in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, as soon as Joshua brought the nation of Israel into the promised land, we read that all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, the ones who were in the wilderness. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord yet the works which he had done for Israel. You take the 400 years of Judges, and there is one statement that summarizes this entire period. It is repeated a number of times in the book of Judges, specifically in Judges 17, 6, we read this, in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And what was right in their own eyes was not right in the eyes of the Lord. You read through the book of Judges, and you know that it culminates with the rape and murder of this gal. And the events of that time were no better than the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. The message of this period, 400 years, is one simple message. Israel should not exist. Israel should go up and smoke just like Sodom and Gomorrah went up. But still, they are around. I mean, sure, there were some flickers of light here and there with some good judges or some good few years here and there. But for the most, most part, time was bleak. Now, we don't know exactly when David wrote the psalm, but we do know exactly what he was thinking about and meditating as he reflected back on the events of Exodus. The verse, verse 1 of the psalm says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Now, as I thought about David, for David, the name of the Lord was so precious and so valuable. In fact, you remember the first time we're introduced to David is in the book of 1 Samuel. When he's going to go up against Goliath. And his speech when he talks to Goliath, listen to what he says. He says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. David knew the name of the Lord from an early age. Now, we don't know when he wrote the psalm, but we do know that he wrote it for corporate worship. David is bringing the people back to the Lord. David is teaching his nation, people who have gone astray, people who were doing wicked things all along for the last 400 years. David is teaching them about their own God. 
And as we read through the psalm, almost like every verse, this verse is packed with deep theology. And we're not going to just look at every verse and try to mine everything that's there. But I just want you to see two things in the psalm. I want you to see two threads that are weaved together to make this beautiful painting. The contrast between these two threads is beyond stark. They're polar opposites, and it seems that they're not supposed to be together. They're not supposed to go hand in hand, and the two threads are these. On the one hand, you have God and his actions. God, who he is, and what he does. And on the other hand, it is intertwined with men and their actions. God and his actions on the one hand, and on the other hand, you have men and their actions. But before we look at these two, notice the stru structure of the psalm. The first two verses, he calls them to bless the Lord. Look at one, verse one says, bless the Lord, bless his holy name. Verse two, he says, bless the Lord. And then at the end, verses 20 and 22 and 23, he returns back to the same theme. He sort of makes a circle around. Now the heart of the psalm is verses three through verses 19. Three through 19. And here he answers the question, why? He commands them to bless the Lord. He comes back and says, you should bless the Lord. And then at the heart of the psalm, he tells them, this is why you should bless the Lord. Now from the very get-go, as I said, David tells us what he wants us to walk away. I mean, sometimes in sermons we say, hey guys, I want you to take away one thing from the sermon. This is what, this is what I want you to learn. And here you have David telling you what he wants you to walk away from the psalm. In fact, it is repeated at least six times. Seven, because one is implied. In verse one, he says, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Verse two, bless the Lord. Verse 20, bless the Lord. Verse 21, bless the Lord. Verse 22, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. You get the point? This is what he wants us to walk away from. He says, as you look at this passage, as you look at everything I'm going to tell you about, I want you to walk away with this. I want you to walk out in awe of the Lord. And I want you to walk out and I want you to bless the Lord. The aim of the psalm is to cause you to overflow with thanksgiving and gratitude to God. And notice it starts very personally. Because he starts off by saying, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Ever talk to your own soul? David did. Is your soul downcast and troubled? Are you struggling? Then the psalm is for you because before David goes anywhere and he tells anybody to do anything, he talks to his own soul. Now, this is a biblical practice. For example, in Psalm 42, we have sons of Korah. They say, why are you in despair, oh, my soul? And why have you become disturbed within it? It's like he's having a conversation with himself. He says, you need to preach to yourself. And this is where David starts. David starts, first of all, by preaching to himself. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. This is what you're supposed to do. In verse 2, he says, forget none of his benefits. You know, one of the reasons why we don't bless the Lord as much as we should is because we forget all his benefits. It's because we don't take time to just step back and reflect on all the benefits that he gives to us. And so in the psalm, David says, listen, I want you to just sit back. And I want you to reflect on all the benefits that the Lord has done for your soul. 
And when you, when you reflect back on everything that the Lord has accomplished for you, there is going to be just one response. One response. You're going to bless the Lord. But notice it starts with your soul, but it doesn't end there. Because he says here, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. This is not just something that goes in your heart. He says it will start in your heart. It will start in your soul, but it will make itself out some way. Because you will express your gratitude to the Lord with everything you have. Deuteronomy 6.5, the very first commandment. says you shall love the Lord your God. How? Just with all your soul? No, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Everything that you have will be consumed with expressing your blessing to the Lord. With extolling and praising God. Your entire being will be consumed with that. And notice by the time we're done with the psalm, you will see that he will expand it to the entire creation, which includes even the angels who are in heaven. But why must you bless the Lord? Why must you Bless the name of the Lord. In verses 3 through 19, David weaves the character of God into a quilt of human failure. Now you might say that it's probably not two threads of God and who God is and what he does and man who he is and what he does. But it's more like you have this black quilt of human failure. And all over it is the name of the Lord. This dark picture, this bleak picture of sin, weakness, and over that you have the name of the Lord. Now as we dive into the details from verses 3 through verses 19, I want you to keep in mind what happened in Exodus and what happened during a time from Moses until David has the background for this psalm. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Why? First reason, because the Lord pardons and the Lord heals. Look at verse 3 or verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. And what are his benefits? Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Now notice the dark backdrop against which, the God, against which God's character shines so brightly. Just consider all these words for sin you have in the psalm. In verse 3 he says, who pardons all your iniquities. In verse 10 he said, he has not dealt with us according to our sins. Again in verse 10, he has not rewarded us according to our iniquities. In verse 12 he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Everything from simply failing to meet the standard to volitionally sinning against God is in view in the psalm. Israel, who is in the presence of God, right in the shadow of the mountain sinning in face of God, is in view in the psalm. And notice, he says, you bless the Lord because first of all, he pardons all your iniquities. As Moses interceded before God, the Lord pardoned and the Lord spared. But not only that, he says, he heals all your diseases. Now this could be a reference to physical diseases or most likely it's a reference to spiritual diseases. In fact, you remember as God has taken the nation of Israel out of Egypt, the Lord put a bunch of plagues on the Egyptians. While the Egyptians suffered, the Israelites were protected. As soon as he brought them out into the wilderness, listen to what he says in Exodus 15, 26. 
God says, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commands and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. And you recall that even in the wilderness when the people of Israel disobeyed and the Lord brought plagues on them and the people were suffering, whether from snakes who were biting them, and then when they looked up, the Lord healed them and the Lord restored them. And David looks back and he says, first of all, the Lord forgives all of your sins. The Lord heals all of your diseases. Second, the Lord redeems and crowns with loving kindness and compassion. Look at verse 4. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. The story of Exodus is the story of redemption. God goes into this foreign nation and God redeems and he takes his people out of that land. Now, you have people who are in Egypt making bricks for Pharaoh. And God goes into that pit where they're making those bricks. And he delivers them and brings them into the wilderness and gives them all, all the things that they don't deserve. Manna from heaven. God is right there during the day, during the night. You have abundant water. The Lord provides everything sufficiently for them. When they were there serving the king who did not care for them and who abused them, he says, the Lord abused you. The Lord redeems your life from the pit. You know, whether you die in that pit serving Pharaoh, nobody cares. But ultimately, it's not just about serving the Pharaoh. But you were headed for the pit. You were headed for eternal pit. And he says, the Lord, in the context of spiritual redemption here, the Lord is the one who delivers your life from eternal pit. And more than that, notice he says, he crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. This word loving kindness is a very important word in the Old Testament, in the Bible, and in the psalm particularly. This is what Moses appealed to when he interceded before God on behalf of the nation. This is what Israel is still around in the days of David. It is because of the loving kindness of the Lord. Notice it is mentioned at least four times in the psalm. Verse 4 says, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Verse 8 says, he is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Verse 11 says, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. And then finally in verse 17, he says, but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. You see, it's because of this covenant-keeping love that God has for the nation of Israel that they are still around in the days of David. If you go in further to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, God is talking to his people. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, he says this. He says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. What does that mean? I, the Lord, am faithful to the promises that I make. And that is the only reason why I did not wipe you out. That is the only reason why you're not consumed. If I was not faithful to my name, if I was not faithful to my covenant, you would not be around. You would be wiped out long ago. The generation that was in the wilderness would be wiped out. But because God keeps his covenant, because God keeps his loving kindness to people, they're still around. 
Now notice he says, he crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Only those who fail need loving kindness and compassion. And all of the people, including us, are failures. We failed in many ways. The only reason why we're still around, the only reason why we're gathered here this morning is for the same reason, because the Lord crowns us with his loving kindness and compassion, which he promised us in Christ. Next, the Lord renews and restores. Look at verse 5. Who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. Now, who are these who are oppressed? Are these, you know, godly people who are just striving to please God? No, these are rebels. These are idolaters who deserve to be wiped out. When they were in Egypt, they did not know the Lord. They did not worship the Lord. They needed to be introduced to the Lord. And the Lord goes in there. He takes a bunch of these rebels and he brings them and he delivers them. He brings them into the wilderness and he satisfies them with himself. He satisfies them with food. He satisfies them with water so that they're not dead in those pits where they were serving Pharaoh. Again and again, throughout the history of Israel, you got rebels who are showing mercy. People who are sinning against God. And yet the Lord performs righteous deeds, not because the people were great, not because they had great attitude or great service for the Lord, but simply because of the name of the Lord. So why did he do it? The Lord did all this simply because of who he is, because of how he revealed himself to Moses. Now, how do we know David is reflecting back on what happened in the book of Exodus? Verse 8, which is at the heart of the psalm, is a direct quote of Exodus 34, 6, which I read to you earlier. In verse 8, David quotes that psalm, and he says here, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. In the previous way, verse, he says, the Lord made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord revealed himself to Moses. The Lord showed to Moses why he acts the way he acts, why he does the things he does. The Lord did that way back in the Exodus. And what the Lord revealed about himself is in verse 8 that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, that the Lord is slow to anger, and he is abounding in loving kindness and truth. The Lord was that in Exodus 32 he was that 400 years later when David was around. He's that today. Again, like I said, think back to your last week. Last week is enough to send every single one of us to hell. Maybe yesterday is enough. Not maybe, for sure. And yet you're still around. Why? Because the Lord is compassionate and gracious. How many times did you fail in the last year? How many times did I fail? How many times the Lord should have wiped me out just like he wanted to do in Exodus 32? And yet, he did not. You see, in your darkest failure, on your most horrible day, there's one truth that can keep you going, and that is who the Lord is. And that's why David reflects back on last 400 years and on the people in the wilderness, and he says, listen, there's just one thing. I can bless the name of the Lord. Why? Because the name of the Lord is a sure refuge. 
Because the name of the Lord is our only hope. When God revealed himself to Moses, he proclaimed his name. And one of the things that he said there, he said at the end that he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. You see, God is holy. God is holy, and that's why his holiness demands punishment. Remember that when Israel sinned, his anger burned. He wanted to wipe them out. His anger burned, but he relented because Moses stood in the gap between the people and the Lord. Now David reflects back on that, and in verse 9 he said, he will not always strive with us. Yeah, he does strive with us. Yes, he does get angry. But he says, look at this mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Yes, the Lord does get angry. Yes, the Lord does, as this verse says here, he strives with men. But you know what? He does not give to us what we deserve. Verse 10 says, he has not dealt with us according to our sins nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. According to our sins, the wages of sin is what? Death. You're not dead, so the Lord has not dealt with you according to your sins. And David reflects back and now he says, yes, the Lord does discipline his people. Yes, the Lord does punish. Yes, his anger does burn. But the Lord does not give to us what we deserve. So I'm 130 verse 3 says this, If you, Lord, should mark our iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Answer, no one. No one. If the Lord keeps track of your one day, you cannot stand. Of your one hour, you cannot stand. And David reflects back and David says, Lord, you know every single thing that I do. And you know what every single thing deserves from you. And yet you have not dealt with us according to our sin. One thought was enough for God to kick devil out of heaven. One fruit was enough to plunge the entire humanity into sin. And what you and I have done and what David and the nation of Israel has done is much more than that. Now why does the Lord act this way with sinners the answer, again, is rooted in who he is. Look at verse 11. He says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The same word which appeared earlier, this word loving kindness, is again in this verse, in verse 4 and verse 8, and here again in verse 11. And he says, As far or as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's pretty high. How are you going to calculate that distance? You can't. And he says, where I am and where God is, that's pretty far. And yet his loving kindness, yet his covenant-keeping love is as great as that. The Lord is so compassionate. The Lord is so merciful that it is so great and so amazing that I cannot even calculate it. It is as high as the heavens are above the earth. Not only that, he says, it is as far as east is from the west. The Lord separates our sin from us. The verse says here, as far as the east is from the west. It's interesting he doesn't say north or the south because you can keep going north and eventually you'll start heading south. 
But no matter how far east you go, you will never be heading west. No matter how, west, how far west you go, you will never be heading east. Why? Because you, those two never meet. And so he says here, the Lord takes your sin. And this is where Christ comes in. David looked back, looked forward to what would happen later on as Messiah would redeem them. He says, when you do come to Christ, when you repent of your sins, the Lord takes all of your sins, your past, your present, your future sins. Why? Because Christ atoned for them all. And he takes them all and he separates them from you. So even when you sin, the Lord doesn't look at you, oh, this poor sinner sinned again. No, he looks at you through the righteousness of Christ. So far, he separates you from your sin as far as the east is from the west the lord takes your sins and he removes them from you forever the old testament old testament saints look forward to the day when messiah would do that we look back to calvary where god has done that for us and notice so far up until this point the emphasis was on the loving kindness and compassion of the lord for sinful humanity as you look at verses 13 through 16 the focus is not so much on the sinfulness of humanity, but it is on their weakness and their frailty. Verses 13 through 16 are oh, very humbling. You read that verse, and you are reminded again and again of the brevity and fragility of your life. He says, you are here today, and you may be gone tomorrow. You know, someone made a helpful observation that as you, as you go through life and you are battling sin... You've got to remember that there is an old man. An old man, he says, you've got to consider him dead. That's what Paul tells us in Romans. Then there is a new man, and you have to build him up. And then there is human component to that. you just got to remember that you're not God. you just got to remember that you're not perfect. Just try to go for a week, don't get food, and don't get sleep, and what's going to happen to you? It's going to affect everything about you. Why? Because you're man. Because you're weak. All of us, regardless of how sophisticated you are, you are but a man. Now notice comparison in verse 13. He says, just as the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The children are frail. We don't expect them to act like adults. We don't expect them to do things that adults do. Why? Because they're small. They're frail. And David says that the Lord looks at all of us, regardless of your age, and he says, you are but a child. You are but a frail child who can only do so much. And he says, we as human fathers, we understand that. When our kids are small, we come alongside of them and we help them because we know they're weak. And he says, your heavenly father understands that too. He understands that you are weak. Now, no way is this an excuse to act sinfully. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just weak. I'm just weak, and I just, no, that's, David does not make that excuse, but he says the reality is, is that you are weak. Regardless of how strong you think you might be, you are not that strong. Now notice, the Lord treats you that way because the Lord made you that way. Verse 14 says, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. You go back to Genesis' account. When the Lord made man, he formed them out of the dust of the ground. In Genesis 3.19, after the fall, God says, By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken. For you are dust, and to the dust 
you shall return. Dust is not very impressive. Like I said, no matter how sophisticated you are, according to God, you are still dust. You see, our worth is not because we are something. The only worth we have is because we are made in the image of God. Now, if dust wasn't humbling enough, David continues, or God through David continues, and he compares you to grass, he compares you to a flower, compares me to grass and flower. Verse 15 says, as for a man, his days are like grass, and as a flower of the field, so he flourishes when the wind has passed over it. It is no more, and this place acknowledges it no longer. If you live in Palestine during the summer, summer heat, the grass appears for a short time, but at the end of the day, it withers and it dies. Sure, there is momentary beauty to grass and the flowers of the field, but it's just that. It's momentary. It's passing. It doesn't last long. And the Lord says, you look at your life. You look at 70, 80, 90 years of your life, and in comparison to eternity, this is just but a shoot from the ground. It is just grass that appears for a little while, and then wind passes over it, and there is no more. It is gone. You put everything together that we've covered so far in the psalm, and he says that men are sinful, men are weak, and men are temporary. That's not very impressive. This is who you are. This is, this is not just them. This is not just people in the wilderness. This is not just people in the time of David. This is us. This is all of us. And then in contrast to that, consider verse 17. But, but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to the children's children. He says, men are temporary. Men are weak and sinful. And while they are temporary, you have what again? The loving kindness of the Lord. The covenant-keeping love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Now I want you to ponder for a moment this phrase that you have here in verse 17, from everlasting to everlasting. I've been arguing that David is reflecting back on the events of Exodus, and specifically on Moses, how God revealed himself to Moses as he pens the psalm. However, the book of Exodus and the first five books of the Bible is not the only thing that Moses wrote, right? This morning we read Psalm 90, perhaps the oldest psalm in the Psalter, and that is written by Moses, and I want you to go there for a moment. Psalm 90. No doubt David meditated on Psalm 90 as he wrote this because he was talking about the events that transpired during the time of Moses and in Moses' writing. And I want you to just consider a couple things. Look at Psalm 90. We're going to read a couple verses. And I want you to notice the parallels between Psalm 90 and Psalm 103. David is reflecting on Moses, on what Moses wrote and what God revealed about himself through Moses. Let's read first six verses of Psalm 90. It's prayer of Moses. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, where you gave birth to the earth and the world. What's the next phrase? From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 
Now you read everything that was written between the time of Moses and the time of David, and you will never find that phrase anywhere else. Moses proclaimed this truth back in the day. And now David reflects on this 400 years later, and he says the same thing. The Lord is everlasting to everlasting. And he says his mercy is everlasting to everlasting. Look at verse 3. You turn men back to what? Dust. Same concept in 103. And say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. Or as the watch in the night, you have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. Notice the next phrase. In the morning, they are like, what? Grass. Grass, which sprouts in you. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts in you. Toward the evening, it fades and withers away. Now Moses taught this 400 years earlier. And now David is bringing people back to the same God who Moses revealed to the nation. And he says, think back to who your God is. The Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. His compassion is everlasting. And you are frail. You are like dust. You are like grass. You are like the flower of the field. Now, 400 years before Moses, before David, I'm sorry, Moses prays this. Look at verse 13. Moses prays to the Lord. Why? Because he's in the middle of those circumstances. He is in this nation, this godless nation, who continually sins against God for 40 years in the wilderness. And Moses is praying to the Lord, and he's saying in verse 13, Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us. In the years we have seen evil, let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Moses is praying. He's looking forward. He says, Lord, please be compassionate to these people. Now, 400 years later, David reflects back on this prayer and sort of He's responding to Moses. He's responding to Moses and he says, the Lord has been faithful. The Lord has demonstrated his compassion. The Lord has demonstrated his mercy for the people. The Lord is compassionate and gracious from generation to generation, even to children's children. The Lord reveals his righteousness and his covenant-keeping love. Now, if you're still in Psalm 90, notice that Psalm 90 begins the fourth book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is arranged in five books. You know that, right? And if you look up above Psalm 90, probably in your Bible, it says book four. That is the first psalm in this book. That'll be important a little bit later on. Go back to Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, we have seen that the Lord shows grace and mercy to rebels who don't deserve it. So what is the appropriate response? What is the appropriate response of those who have received such mercy? Now we understand when the people were in Egypt, the Lord did not say, hey guys, I want you to fear me, worship me, serve me, 
and then I'll see how faithful you are, and then I'm going to take you out of Egypt, and I'm going to deliver you because you do this and this and that. Remember, that's not what happened. The Lord goes after rebels, and he brings them out into the wilderness, and then he says, listen, I've delivered you. I've shown you mercy. Now you are to respond in a certain way. If we're going to maintain relationship between us, this is how you ought to act, and this is what I'm going to do. That's where the law comes in. The law basically tells them that in order for us to live together, in order for us to maintain a relationship, this is what you ought to do. Yes, you were rebel, and I showed you grace, and I showed you mercy, but now you got to respond. you got to do certain things. Now, in the same way, we've seen in the psalm that there are at least in three different places this phrase mentioned that you ought to fear him. Look again at verse 11. He says, so great is his loving kindness toward who? Toward those who fear him. Verse 13 says, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Verse 17 says, but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on who? On those who fear him. Listen, if you've been shown mercy and grace and compassion again and again and again, and you continue in your rebellion, you might end up just like the people in the wilderness. That entire generation that did not know the Lord, that continually rebelled against the Lord, what, they all perished in the wilderness. They all died in the wilderness. They didn't enter the promised land. And he says, you are, to, you are to respond appropriately. As those who have been shown mercy, as those who know the Lord, that knowledge must produce reverence, which will lead to worship. To fear the Lord means to fear the Lord. It's not that complicated. You understand what fear is? Fear is fear. You ought to tremble because if you are right by the mountain that is shaking and you got fire burning and you got all those sounds up there, you better be terrified. This is in the same way, you ought to fear the Lord. You ought to revere the Lord. Because those who have been shown compassion, they are to act appropriately. Now notice that David begins by commanding his soul to bless the Lord. But as I said in the beginning, he doesn't end there. Notice this worship, this giving of thanksgiving or ascribing worth to the Lord it goes through the entire creation. Verse 20 says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you his host, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, all my soul. Both physical and the spiritual realms, every created being exists for one reason and one reason only. It is to bless the name of the Lord. Now, as we close our time here, I want to bring this full circle. We began in the book of Exodus, and we saw how the Lord was gracious to the people in the wilderness. We looked at Moses' prayer as he was pray praying and pleading that the Lord would show his loving kindness and compassion to the next generations, that he would bring them into the land and prosper them. We saw in the psalmist, he reflects, David reflects back in the last 400 years, he says, listen, the Lord has been compassionate. The Lord has been gracious. The Lord has been merciful only because of his name. Now, I want to close our time by looking at Psalm 106. Psalm 106 is the final psalm in book four in Psalm. You see, Psalm 107 begins book five. And I just want to read a couple of verses from the psalm, and I want you to see 
the unity of this book. You recall Psalm 90 began and talked about how everlasting from everlasting our God is, how compassionate and gracious he is. David reflects back in Psalm 103, he reflects back in what Moses prayed, and he says, listen, we ought to bless the name of the Lord because it deserves to be blessed. Psalm 106, it recounts the history of Israel, and it is not a pretty history. If you have time, go home today and read through that psalm. The psalm is filled with sin, it is filled with rebellion, it is filled with judgment. However, I just want you to notice that there is a thread that is weaved through it all, this thread of God's loving kindness for his people. Look at verse 1, Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For what? What's the next phrase? For his loving kindness is everlasting. This is where he starts. You ought to bless the Lord because his loving kindness is everlasting. Look at verse 6. He said, we have sinned like our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have behaved wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindness, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Verse 8, nevertheless, he saved them. Why? For the sake of his name. For the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. But what did these people do? Thus he rebuked the Red Sea and dried up, and he led them through the deep as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them. Now the rest of the psalm goes through their history, but I just want you to see how the psalm ends. And this is where we'll end, verse 44. Nevertheless, after I have recounted all of the sin that they have committed and every opportunity that God had to wipe them out, nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry, and he remembered his covenant for their sake. And he relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captives. Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the nations to give thanks to what? To your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, amen. Praise the Lord. It starts this way. It's this way in the middle. And it ends this way. You look back at your own life. And your own life is no different than the history of Israel. Sin, rebellion, failure, all that's there. But one thing never changes. The compassion and loving kindness of the Lord. When we were rebels and we were sinners, the Lord went after us and delivered us. And even as his children, though we stumble, though we fall because we're weak, because we're sinful, because whatever else, the Lord's compassion is over us. See, no matter how hard your trials, no matter how hard your suffering is, I think today as you look at this, you can honestly say that God's grace is more. God's compassion is more. God's loving kindness is more because this is who he is. Now perhaps for some of you today, this would be the first time when you actually acknowledge the loving kindness of the Lord toward you. 
If you have never reflected back on how good the Lord has been to you, if you've never acknowledged that you deserve wrath and wrath and that's all you deserve, and yet the Lord in his compassion has sustained your life and has blessed you even to this day, perhaps today is the day where for the first time you will be able to bless the Lord. You will be able to bless his name because he is compassionate and he's gracious. All of us can look back and we can look forward that the Lord will sustain us. Why? Because that's who he is. And we in turn are to respond by fearing the Lord. And out of that, we bless his holy name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this amazing picture of your grace and your compassion and your kindness toward us sinners. I pray that all of us would walk away from here knowing you better, worshiping you more fervently. That as we go and as we live our life, even this next year that is before us, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be more holy. That you would help us to reflect you more and more. Because you are good. And you deserve to be blessed. And you deserve to be praised. In Christ's name we pray this. Amen.